forward to later this hour talking to Tim Sandifer about the Supreme Court. He is my favorite expert on the topic. And uh, uh, it's in will, the news a lot. We will not be asking the same, you know, idiotic, meaningless questions about Amy Coney Barrett as her uh, confirmation is virtually assured. Uh, we'll be talking about the court in general, why it's such a big deal, yeah. uh, what's originalism, that sort of thing. Well, it came up, I don't know how many times yesterday, the fact that she's an originalist. Well, what is that? Mm-hmm. Tim will explain it. And if you're not an originalist, what are you? Yeah. Okay. We'll look into uh, that. Putts. That's what you are. <laughs> putts, huh? Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> Plus, and uh, listen, one of the challenges uh, of the show right now, and it's a great challenge, it's wonderful, is that we're on more and more stations. I mean, the show is growing beautifully, and we thank you very much for your support and telling your friends about the show, et cetera, and or badgering your local station executive to put it on. But I don't, we, we. Are hmm. you about to do some sort of, this is why it's so hard to be a hot chick speech? Is that what well, it no, is? No, no, not at all. The it, pressures of being this hot. There's it's a just, word. You, you I, wouldn't want the burden. What, what was that song? Hot girls, we have problems, too. We're just like you, except we're hot, hot, hot. <laughs> so funny. Uh, there, are word, there is a word I would like very much to use right now to describe one Cory Booker of the United States Senate. But it is a word considered terribly impolite in some company. And if, if a brand new listener... Here's us using salty language. They might think, oh, this is some sort of shocking show that's not appropriate for me or my love. I don't know. Is this so the Howard little... Stern's program? Um, what is going on here? <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to be cautious here and just say Cory Booker yesterday in questioning Amy Coney Barrett came off as the world's biggest sausage. <laughs> All right. All right. The world's biggest cleansing device <laughs> a real donkey okay stay with us <laughs> um uh so nancy pelosi went on cnn yesterday hoping for softball questions and a chance to well, just why uh, wouldn't she get that why wouldn't she expect that? basically say out loud her um her talking points unchallenged but that's not the way it went with one wolf blitzer oh we'll not let it go for so the first time in years the topic was why aren't you getting a stimulus package through i mean there's a lot of people hurting out there they need the money and right. strike uh, a compromise people are hurting exactly Excuse me for Let interrupting, go Ma- Madam Speaker, mm-hmm. but they really need the money right now. Uh, and even members of, I of your own, that, but, your, if, but even members if you of your own caucus, question. even members of your own caucus, Madam Speaker, uh, want to accept this deal. One point eight trillion dollars, Congressman Ro Khanna, for example. Wait, 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 but let me just let me just quote Ro Khanna, a man you know well. I assume you admire him. He's a Democrat, and he just said this. He said, "People in need can't wait." Until February, $1.8 trillion is significant and more than twice the Obama stimulus. Make a deal. Put the ball in McConnell court. So what do you say to Ro Khanna? What I say to you is I don't know why you're always an apologist. And many of your colleagues, apologists for the Republican position. <laughs> Good Lord. She's describing CNN. <laughs> It is time to put Aunt Nancy in the home. CNN are apologists for the Republicans. So the, that back and forth went on for what is some of the longest minutes on TV, where they <laughs> clearly are just uh, getting more and more agitated. Well, she is getting more and more agitated with being questioned. And here's uh, the and the, in the video, I would point out she is physically vibrating with anger. And uh, here's how it wrapped up. Speaker, these are, these are incredibly difficult times right now, uh, and we'll leave it on that note. Thank you so much yeah. for joining no, we'll us. We'll leave it on the vote that you are not right on this, Wolf, and I hate to say that to All you. Right. But I feel confident about it, and I feel confident about my colleagues, and I feel confidence in my chairs. 
and it's not about me, it's about millions of Americans who can't put food on the table, who can't pay the rent, and we represent them. And we represent them. Getting and by we represent these them. long food and lines we represent that we're seeing. Them. I know we you know are. Them. I'm, I'm just we saying. We represent them and we know them. As we, we say. We know them. We represent oh them. Don't boy. let yes. the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say. It is here nowhere in near perfect. Madam Speaker. Always the case, but we're not even close to the good. All right. Let's see what happens because every day is critically, critically important. Thanks so much Thank for joining us. Thank you for your us. sensitivity to our constituents' needs. I am sensitive to them because I see them on the street begging for food, begging for money. Madam Speaker, thank you, you so much. Have you fed them? We feed them. We we'll, feed them. We'll continue this conversation down the road for sure. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Wow. That is Marie Antoinette on steroids. That you, is amazing. Have you fed them, Wolf? <laughs> is, is soon <laughs> Some good stuff. Do I represent them, Nancy? <laughs> good one. A... Uh, a, a, a quick explanation of something. As soon as you understand this, you will understand politics a lot better. We've talked about this before. Politicians will yell and yell and yell about solving an issue, but the last thing in the world they want to do is solve it because you won't go vote if it's solved. They would rather have the issue than solve the issue. Nancy and the Democrats have gambled that if you are starving and desperate, they can blame Trump. And, and the Democrats will win the election. They have it within their power easily to get giant checks out to everybody. Actually, six weeks ago, they could have done it and compromised with the Republicans. But they're gambling that they can have the issue for the polls. But they it's way too long a period. It's way too obvious. At the point that Wolf Blitzer is saying, what are you doing? You have really overreached. I wonder, is there any chance... So Trump gets elected, and there are a lot of people on the right that on the right that don't like Trump, and and you know journalists, magazines, people that have been writing conservative stuff for decades, some of the biggest heavyweights in America that are fully part of the resistance to Trump on mm-hmm. the right because they're unhappy with what their party has become in Correct. their yep. eyes, mm-hmm. and uh, and they and they and they and they they're, they're more true to con- like conservative principles than they are to. A party or a particular guy. Could that be happening on the left as it becomes more clear to them anyway? And the polls would lead you to believe that the Democrats are about to have a big win. Is there starting to be a, you know, the way the National Review has been beaten up on Trump, is there going to be CNN or MSNBC or somebody on the left saying, okay, now we're in charge. You guys need to get your act together because this is a bunch of crap. It's entirely possible. Could that happen exactly the same way? I would hope so. Yeah, I hope there are people standing up for principle over election. Maybe maybe that's going to happen. Okay, you won because there are enough people that hate Trump. But here's what you need to actually do. Maybe that's going to happen. I don't know. Right, right. Well, I just think it's notable when, when the folks at CNN are in the face of Nancy Pelosi calling her on her ass. I, I think it's notable. And I credit Wolf Blitzer, who I've... I've said uh, terrible things about through the really unforgivable, cruel, cruel things about that sort of thing should be the default on news. It should happen so often. They should they should not be looking forward to an interview. They should be worried and need to have their ducks in a row. So that's right. They ought to have their talking points arrayed in front of them and be on their the, the, the balls of their feet. It should happen so often with yeah. the, 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 the people that control all of our money. And and uh, and all of our uh, freedom, as we found out during the pandemic, um, but it doesn't happen very often. 
Um, Evidently, it's like you run into your doppelganger in the airport. Apparently, Wolf Blitzer's two brain cells ran into each other in his skull (laughs) and generated an idea. He did a good job. We don't need to bring up the fact that he finished with negative dollars on the children's version of Jeopardy. We don't even need to mention that in this segment. You're right. We should probably leave that out. I'd like to know the backstory on that because, I mean, he bordered on disrespectful for the House, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And, and talking over and interrupting and stuff like that. I don't have a problem with it, but I no, mean... No, she's working for him. He was into that territory of, like, fully in her face. Good, we need more of that. I agree. Yeah, but you, what, I see what, what you're happened saying. to get from usually just letting people say what they want to there, that's, that's something. From worshipful to that. Well, Wolf was around when CNN was a serious news network. And I think he has a shred of pride. I wonder if they had a meeting last week or something like that. And that's why Jake Tapper's like, wait a second, a poll is not the Constitution. I don't think you know what unconstitutional means. I mean, that, that is quite a coincidence. <laughs> it's awesome. Two anyway. really notable standing up and, and, and growing spine uh, incidents. Wow, that's really encouraging. Um, I'll be derned. Hope is a dangerous thing. Yep. Theater chains are trying to figure out a way to stay alive. I mean, don't bother, they, you're doomed. <clears throat> they are on life support. Well, they got a couple of clever ideas. On uh, things you can do. In fact, you could go just like by yourself and watch a movie at the theater if you wanted. That, among other things, we've got on the way, including Tim the lawyer to talk about the Supreme Court nomination hearings. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The strategy and the key for Biden at this point is to recognize how hard it's going to be if he becomes president Mm. and that he's got to really paint a picture of how he leads and how it would be different under his leadership. Because the reality is that the reaction to Trump is also strong and you see it with schools. There's a lot of schools who are in communities like Washington, D.C., that's doing a good job mm-hmm. and people are following the rules and they are still so risk averse to opening schools in large part because their teachers don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is reaction to some of the politics. So if Trump says reopen, then we should stay closed. There's all of this that's coursing through the response to the virus uh, that is a reflection of how it's been politicized. And it's and it's really unfortunate. I'd say so. Somebody finally said it out loud. We've been saying it for a long time. There are places where schools are closed because you don't like Trump. Right. That is just unconscionable. There are poll results. Listen to this. Well, and yeah, and that is another example. We opened the show today. We have an honorary general manager at the very beginning of the show. And our general manager this morning was common sense, perspective, uh, realism. And that was another uh, example of that. Somebody saying, okay, let's admit that a lot of the reaction against Trump, just for being Trump, is shaping our policy, and that's probably not good. Thank goodness there are some adults left. Listen to this, would you? Gallup poll, and I have a lot of interesting stuff from it a little bit later on, but um, are you ready to return to normal activities right now in spite of COVID? Among Democrats, 5% of men and 3% of women say, yes, I am. Ready to return to normal activities. Five and three percent. Among Republicans, it's 64 and 54. Now, some of that has to do with personalities, worldviews, the sort of people who tend to vote one way or the other. Read Thomas Sowell's A Conflict of Visions. Also, Um, what you take your news from. Right, right. Excellent point. Right. 
But it's, a, to a large degree, a reaction in favor of or against Trump and or being immersed in a certain sort of news. That's so, just astounding. So if, if Biden wins, will there be a, a great uh, groundswell of opening businesses and schools back up? Yes, I believe there will be part of Jeez. it. I, I know. I know. It's, it's, it's shocking and really stupid. Part of my uh, argument in favor of that theory, where is it? Uh, one of our, our beloved listeners, uh, I think it's, I want to get the name right, because these people are so good to us. Um, gosh, dang it. Our intrepid uh, correspondent from Honolulu is reporting that the tone in the major newspapers seems to be changing significantly toward, hey, let's get uh, tourism uh, geared up. Hey, uh, it looks okay to open the schools. Let's, uh, let's, all, um, let's all ease up a little bit. And and his theory, and I think it's a reasonable one, is that there's a belief that Biden will soon be in power. And let's uh, rev up the economy now. Now's the time. Let's get the kids back in school. I think we won this one. Well, how little attention did the World Health Organization announcement that countries need to stop the shutdowns, how little attention did that get? If they had said something in direct defiance of what Trump believes, oh, my God, would that be a story? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure, but the World Health Organization saying you got to stop with the lockdowns. We're we're doing more harm than good. Right? Yeah, I did a no hard way. Oh, yeah, the WHO. I, uh, it's uh, Gary, our intrepid Honolulu reporter. Gary, thanks, Gary. Yeah, he needs to uh, explain his senator. Anyway, more on that later. She's a numbskull. That's uh, the explanation. Making Amy Coney Barrett uh, uh, swear under oath that she's never raped anybody yesterday. <laughs> What was that? What? Yeah, she. Have you ever sexually assaulted anybody? Have you ever um, forced somebody for sexual favors? I mean, it was the long list of things. Have you ever done? I was like, what? What are these questions? Maisie Hirono did. Yeah, that? she is very oh weird. My God. <laughs> and Amy Coney Barrett said, "No, no, I haven't." Why and are Tucker, you asking me? And this? Tucker Carl said said last night, "Okay, good news. Our Supreme Court nominee is not a rapist. We can mark that off." That's two in a row who are not a rapist, <laughs> by the way. Unbelievable. The world's biggest theater chain is almost completely out of money. We'll be out of money by the end of 2020. It might be the end of people seeing movies in theaters, which has existed for, what, 80 years? 100 years? Not quite 100 years. 90 oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Various, uh, like, pre... Yeah, early... Yeah, sure. The Stereo Opticon. Come on. Uh, the company announced Tuesday. There's something I can't remember. Their attendance <laughs> is down 85% year over year. So it's about half. Start to stay in business. Because <laughs> they just reopened their theaters. Yeah. And they, I mean, they weren't getting any business, you know, up until like a month ago because they were closed. That's, that's a 100% drop. But uh, now with the theaters open, they're down 85% year over year. And so some of these kind of ideas are coming along. Make an AMC auditorium all yours. Host a personal s- screening for one or make it a private party for up to 20 people. Uh, make an AMC your next destination to meet friends and family and reserve an AMC safe and clean auditorium starting at just $99 plus, plus tax. Wow. For you alone, like your Elvis or the president, or you and some of your friends. To, Michael do, Jackson. Do you get to watch whatever you want? I didn't read the I'm, whole thing. I'm doing research. I think this might be the way for me to go see a movie. Well, I'm thinking see. they will let you watch the, whatever if, they're showing. If I they mean. have the rights to, to show it, I'm pretty sure. sure they'll do it. How yeah. cool would that be? Very. Tim the lawyer coming up on the Supreme Court. Looking forward to chatting with Tim. 
I thought I got the countdown. That was that was two minutes. Oh, two minutes. Okay. Well, I have more to say on this. So, uh, how cool would that be to go see a movie completely by yourself? I'm all alone. You'd feel like another uh, human being in here. I'm gonna crinkle my wrapper. I'm gonna put my feet up. I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. For another twenty-five bucks, can you move the Slurpee machine right in next to me on the seat so I can just refill it as I watch the movie? And that reminds me, we should tell this story just for anybody who uh, is new to our show. We used to have a producer named Dominic Brasha. Yes. Uh, you can Google him. He's uh, he's quite a character. And bit of controversy surrounding the fella. Yeah, he's well known in a lot of uh, a lot of areas. Um, he's inf- infamous that way. Yes. Uh, he died last year, so he's dead. But anyway, he he was <laughs> he was a nutty guy. But one of the things he would do, and he would talk about, he talked about this on the air. So I'm, it's not like I'm you know revealing any secrets about uh, about a person while after they're dead. Did you did you ever hear this, Sean? So if he was at a movie theater and somebody was talking. He would take his giant Coke and pour it on the seat because he believed he was punishing the theater for not keeping people from talking during the movie. Well, that makes no sense. Right. <laughs> right. Or, or if he was unhappy with the uh, service at a restaurant, he would turn on all the faucets in the men's room and just run the water. Trying to jack up their water bill? Exactly. His punishment. <laughs> So he's at a movie theater. Yeah, jump dump his giant Coke in the seat because the movie theater let people talk. To punish them. <laughs> Craziest person I've ever known in my life. Some poor son of a gun and gets a wet hiney in the next showing. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Got to admit, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. We might just go for like 45 minutes with no commercials. Oh, wow. Talking with Tim the Lawyer about uh, the Supreme Court. Tim Sandifer is the Vice President for Litigation for the Goldwater Institute. He is the author of several excellent books, including more recently, The Ascent of Jacob Bronowski, uh, Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man, and one of my all-time favorites, uh, The Right to Earn a Living. Oh, plus the Permission Society, which was inspired, he says, by conversations on this very program. Uh, he is our smart friend. He condescends to speak to us. It's Tim Sandifer. Hello, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Oh, it's our pleasure. According to your avatar, you're still bearded? Yes, that okay. is right. Nicely trimmed this morning. Fantastic. Good lead question, Jack. <laughs> Would you like to follow that up? Yeah, actually, this is a pretty good lead question. So I'm looking at this poll that was taken right before Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, asking the public... How do you feel about the makeup of the court? Because that's what all this fight is about. This is why people get so worked up about it. They're worried about, you know, it's going to move too far this way or that way. So they polled people and the plurality of Americans felt that the court was just about right politically. Forty two percent said it's about right. A third said too conservative. Twenty three percent said too liberal. How would you uh, describe where the court was politically, is politically and where it will be if Amy Coney Barrett gets on it? The court was moderately conservative, and it will become a little bit more conservative. But the problem is that that kind of question is is basically meaningless unless you're talking about what issue, what legal subject you're talking about. Because, you know, these justices have views about criminal law that differ from their views about civil law or contract law or property rights and things. And those just do not break down into any sensible conservative versus liberal axis. So... The court in general will be more 
more conservative than it was before. But really what you need to talk about is what specific issues uh, will the court change on? Right. It was interesting how you phrased the question, Jack, too, that uh, how will it be uh, now politically as opposed to judicially? And that is that is a thing that is smeared, whether intentionally or unintentionally, in the media, media that a, a liberal court could conceivably come up with. I mean, a, an activist court could conceivably come up with outcomes that conservatives like politically. And a very conservative judge that thinks, you know, all in all, we ought to stay out of most things might yield an outcome that uh, that liberal voters like um how especially because especially because a lot of conservative judges kind of pride themselves on not using their political views in their judicial decisions justice Scalia, very famously so was of the view that you know at when i take my position as a judge it's my role to enforce the law as written, even if I disagree with that law. And they, they kind of take it as a badge of pride. So it really isn't fair to, to, to characterize the court in broad political terms for that reason. So uh, it's come up a bunch of times over the last couple of days that she is an originalist. What is an originalist? An originalist is a, a, a person who believes that the Constitution should be interpreted in terms of how it was meant or understood in the 1780s when it was written or in the 1860s when the amendments were passed or what have you, as opposed to the idea that the meaning of the Constitution's text changes somehow over time or that it's or that it is an abstraction, like a philosophical abstraction that a judge interprets in, in philosophical terms. So an, a written, there are different kinds of originalists. And so there are some who think that what's important is what the people individually thought when they sat down to write the Constitution in Philadelphia in 1787. And then there are others who say, no, what what matters is what the average person would have believed the Constitution meant in the 1780s and so forth. So there are differences even within these these groups of, of scholars. But in broad terms, an originalist is a person who thinks the Constitution me- means today what it meant when it was written. Is uh, is a textualist an originalist, or is there a difference? It, there are differences. Uh, okay, I mean, this it depends on who you ask. For example, I do not consider myself an originalist, but I do consider myself a textualist. What I mean by that is that I do think that the text obviously is what matters. When you're reading the Constitution, you have to understand what those words mean, not what you would like them to mean. What they mean now or what they broad. meant at the time, because uh, that can be different, I, can it? That's Exactly the problem, exactly the problem. So an originalist says, well, it means what they meant at the time. And a a, a textualist does not necessarily think that. So, for instance, Justice Gorsuch, in the recent case about discrimination against uh, people who are married to members of the same sex, in the Bostock case, Justice Gorsuch is basically a libertarian. He ruled that the, the, the law does prohibit that kind of discrimination, even though nobody believed that at the time that that law was written. So that is a textualist argument as opposed to an originalist argument. He's not just making it up as he goes along. So he's not like a living constitution guy, but he doesn't think that the meaning of the law is created by the uh, historical fact of how it was written. Would the you know not to get too far off on the Second Amendment, but would the uh, the, the the founders who liked the Second Amendment would they uh, believe that a person could own their own cannon? Because that would have been the most powerful <laughs> weapon you could owned in the world at the time, I think, as a cannon. 
You know, I'm reminded uh, of uh, I had a professor who who from Russia when I was in college and he used to speak about this. He said he said, you know, yeah, I, I have friends in Switzerland who really do have tanks in their garages <laughs> because they're all members of they're all you know required to serve in the military. It's not a big deal there. Uh, I think that the founding fathers would have thought that you have a right to possess firearms for self-defense. And then when it comes to something like a cannon, they would have said no. OK, interesting. Tim Sanford's on the line from the Goldwater Institute talking about the Supreme Court in general and the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, positive, Sean, is now an appropriate time for your your question? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, just a point that I saw made on Twitter that I thought was interesting, and I, I would love to hear uh, your pushback against it. Um, uh, does an originalist, since the Constitution, and maybe the, this premise is wrong, only mentions an army and a navy, does that mean that the Air Force doesn't exist to a constitu- or an originalist, and if any rulings came about, about that, they would have to say, well, it doesn't exist in the Constitution, therefore no funding for the Air Force or, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not at all a stupid question. So congratulations. But congratulations, well, John. I respectfully disagree. No. But go on, Tim. In the case of Squirrel versus Acorn. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the answer to that is if you are if you ask the best originalist sneakers out there, and that's people like Randy Barnett, his professor at Georgetown, his answer would be. We're not looking at the specifics of what was written in the Constitution, but at the principles that they wrote into the Constitution. So the fact that they said the armed forces in the Constitution means that whatever is in, is designed as an armed force falls within what the Constitution was originally meant at the time. That, and maybe that's a persuasive argument. I actually don't think it's a persuasive argument for very sophisticated reasons we probably don't have to get, uh, to get into. I, do, I think the Constitution clearly gives Congress the authority to create an Air Force, but not because that was in the minds of anybody in the 1780s. Okay. Does the Constitution, and this is more about Twitter than you, Sean, does the Constitution actually specifically mention the Army and Navy at all? Or just armed forces? Yes, it's a- it does. No, it says Army and Navy in, some, in one place, and it says uh, Armed Forces in another. Okay, mm. excellent. The Unconstitutional Air Force. I'll does be it mention uh, <laughs> Elvis Costello's fabulous uh, album, Armed Forces, at all? That's in, that's in the, the, the Article 12. <laughs> so that's what I thought. Let's get to where the rubber meets the road or the sensible flats meet the, uh, the black robe in this case. Mm-hmm. Why has the Supreme Court become such a major part of American life in a way that it wasn't as much in the past. Why is everybody so fevered about it? The short answer is abortion. The long answer is the New Deal from the 1930s. So that what all of this is about the politics of abortion because of the Supreme Court's decision in Roe versus Wade in the 1970s. And since that decision, there's been a concentrated effort to get that decision overturned. And part of that has been to elect presidents who are going to nominate Supreme Court justices who believe that the Roe decision was wrongly decided. Now, of course, if Roe were overruled today, it would not ban abortion in the United States. It would mean that it was up to state Supreme Courts to decide whether their state constitutions protect abortion rights. And several states already have done so. California, uh, Kansas, all sorts of states have issued decisions saying it doesn't matter what happens at the U.S. Supreme Court. Abortion is a protected right at the state level. So that's the easy answer. But the long term answer is that ever since the 1930s, Congress has been given such expansive powers, powers that the Constitution does not contemplate that it's become a really important priority to make sure that nobody gets on the Supreme Court who starts to say, wait a minute, all this stuff that the federal government has gotten itself into and state governments also, 
in the past 80 years or so, there's no constitutional foundation for that. And it really conflicts with a lot of what's in the Constitution. So maybe we should rethink that. That would be very dangerous to lots and lots of bureaucrats and to lots and lots of people who get paid for not working from the federal government and, and state government. So they, it's very important that they prevent that from ever happening. So that's the, the and, and, you know, what has happened then is Congress passes these incredibly broad, incredibly vague laws, which then courts have to go in and figure out what they mean. So that means it's very important to control what goes on in the court. Isn't that a lot of it? I mean, that's what Senator Ben Sass com- keeps complaining about Congress not doing their job. They leave it so open-ended, and they want the court to deal with it so that they don't have to. That's exactly right, and, and he's totally right about that. And ever, of course, Congress has huge incentives to do that, right? Pass incredibly vague laws that, that look like a good thing, and then you can go home to your constituents and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm a great guy. I did this. Uh, I passed this great law. But it's so vaguely worded that there's no real downside at first. And then gradually, then it's the court's responsibility to figure out what these laws mean. And the court starts saying, well, gosh, this is a very good law. Well, by that time, you've passed a buck. By that time, you've already been reelected to Congress. So you don't have to worry about it. And if anything goes wrong, you can blame the judges. I have a, a final question, but first, uh, Tim, a glimpse into our lives. We, got the, we were talking about Ben Sass a great deal. We quoted him yesterday. Got this uh, note from Jerry. Ha ha, you said Ben's ass. Thank you, Jerry, for that contribution. <laughs> now, see, now, now, see, now, see, that is not a textualist interpretation of the thing. <laughs> All right, here is my closing two-headed monster of a question. What is the worst Supreme Court decision that has not been overturned? Uh, you can deal with that first if you like. That would be Jones and Laughlin Steel versus National Labor Relations Board, which is a 1937 case that basically said that every single employment contract in the country can be regulated by the federal government. Ugh. And, and secondly, did you watch any of the uh, confirmation hearing stuff yesterday? Oh, God, no. Actually, I, I watched about 30 seconds of it, but it, the problem is it's so horrible to watch when you are a lawyer and you care about these things because it's like watching a television channel that's devoted to nothing but filming children fighting at a school playground (laughs) no 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 that's not right because it would be more like children who refuse to go to school fighting on a playground right it's like watching csi with an actual cop they just spend the entire thing saying, oh, God. Well, that I love how they made a big deal about the fact that, that, that she didn't have any notes on the desk in front of her. Like, what notes do you need to answer questions that stupid? Or questions <laughs> that aren't even questions, these two- or three-minute-long monologues that these senators are giving that aren't even questions that have nothing to do with her. Well, it's clear you didn't watch yesterday. They got a half hour each, and some of the guys just droned on for an entire half hour and didn't even acknowledge the presence of the, the young woman there at the uh, the. the the table. So, hey, before we, before we run out of time, do I remember correctly that you don't have a problem with uh, uh, just a simple majority for the Senate to put Supreme Court justices on? You said it's not in the Constitution, so you don't have a problem with it. Am I right about that? Do I remember that's, that? That's exact. Yes, that's right. And in fact, I I'm of the view that Supreme Court nominations ought to be more politicized than they are. I think it's a shame 
that nominees are coached never to answer substantive questions about their views of the law, and that we then place these people on the court when, without really a clear idea of what they in, view the Constitution as meaning. And I, and I think it would be healthier for our society if we had much more lengthy and more political debates over who gets put on the court and who doesn't. Interesting. So I, don't, just, I don't know how that would happen. Just but. understand, you're not saying, how would you decide this case more on w- w- what's your view of the Constitution, what's your philosophy, that sort of thing? I would even ask a justice, uh, a nominee, what do you think that such and such a case ought to be overruled? What do you think about this legal precedent? I absolutely would do that. Yeah, and these are people who are going to have life tenure on the Supreme Court of the United States. We should know what their views are of the Constitution. And expanding the Supreme Court, how do you feel about going from 9 to 11 or 13 or whatever? Well, I think there, there's... There's no constitutional reason why you can't do it in terms of, like, the text, but it's a really bad idea. That's, that really is a, the, a road you go down that ultimately destroys the constitutional system and turns everything into politics. And if you think everything ought to be politics, then, you're, you know, you have no reason to cherish the Constitution. And the only reason to expand, the, to pack the court, to expand the court and that sort of thing, is because your program cannot be justified in constitutional terms. And so you're saying basically, well, I've invented a new place, I'm going to throw out the rule book. And that's, that's a really bad idea. Tim, the lawyer, Sandifer, vice president for litigation, the Goldwater Institute. Uh, Tim, always enlightening. Thanks a million for the time. We'll talk again soon. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks. Good stuff. He can't watch it. <laughs> he can't. Watch. I didn't figure he probably could. Hell no. <laughs> right, cops watching CSI. Right. That's a good right. one. Too stupid. Uh, more on the way. Armstrong and Getty. You know, it's actually amazing how we're so addicted to Apple products that we'll just take whatever they give. No charger. We'll take it. No earbuds. I'm in. The iPhone 13 will not come with a phone. <laughs> I want two of them. The big box and the small box. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not addicted to Apple products. I'm rocking an iPhone 7. I haven't gotten a new phone in years. And uh, it doesn't work very well, and uh, the battery's dying. But it is time for a new phone, and they announced yesterday they're going to have a mini again. They're going to have a—they're calling it a mini, but it's the size iPhones used to be before they got giant. And I'm very excited about the 12 mini. That's what I'm going to buy. And the price is low because it's tiny. Mm. Um, so low by modern Low-ish, standards, it's yeah. six ninety nine instead of twelve ninety nine. Yeah. Uh, the the regular is a seven ninety nine, and then when you get up to the pros, is when it gets uh, into the plus a grand. Um, a uh, couple of things I wanted to mention. Crafts in trouble for a slogan they came up with uh, for their uh, <laughs> wasn't their mac and cheese. I'll get yes. to that in a second. Oh, how I wish we did a satellite show right now. The punchlines that are running through my mind. <laughs> Tucker Carlson was big on this last night, a new study that said, it's it's a CDC study, 85% of coronavirus patients often or always wore masks 14 days prior to the onset of symptoms. Yeah. Questioning the effectiveness of masks. Yeah, I thought there were were some uh, illogic in that. Um, You would have to know... um, I mean, all that proves is that masks are not 100% effective. 
Um, you'd have to have like all sorts of different data points on different behaviors and stuff like that. It is interesting, though. I mean, it got my attention. It doesn't prove anything, but well, but if 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 practically everybody who gets the coronavirus was wearing a mask always or most of the time, then how much good are we doing? Well, I need to know, is virtually everybody wearing a mask much of the time when they're around other humans? I'm worried the argument is going to be not be, uh, I'm not worried about the argument's going to be, so don't wear a mask. I'm worried the argument is going to be, so you can't gather, no matter what. Right. Even with masks. We right, just, too we much just, leaks out around the edges. Yeah. I mean, if it, uh, that's what I'm worried about. Um, a slogan intended to sell mac and cheese has elicited a, a furious reaction online with people accusing Kraft of predatory behavior by sexualizing a product popular with children. No, no. Kraft said it's send nudes campaign. Nudes, N-O-O-D-S is in noodles, I guess. Yeah, short oh, for noodles, you see. Send nudes. Encourage adults to send. Pasta, f- if you will. To send free noodles to loved ones to provide comfort and make them smile. I'm not. I'm not sure if I sent my brother a box of macaroni and cheese, he'd feel like I really helped him out. But <laughs> I sent you a nude. Get it? Bull. No, no, I don't get it. Do you, nude? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so you sent me macaroni anyway, and cheese? Thanks, yeah, that's right. Thanks for the sixty-nine cent box of mac and cheese. I've got you, several in the pantry. But didn't it cost you like? Four times more than the box to mail it? I don't understand why you did this. Send nudes. Yeah, I, yeah, it's the logic that bothers me. That reminds me, we've been mailing a lot of urine and fecal matter lately. <laughs> to your enemies? For my son's uh, various tests that he's oh, getting done. I should talk right. about that later. The, right. the steps you need to go through to overnight some, uh, you know, a big hunk of poo. It's amazing. Oh, pl- then if people will. They're, they're not even showing up to work so they can stay tuned for that. <laughs> oh, I know you've got golly. some Gallup stuff on the uh, COVID. Attitudes on the COVID response. I, th- 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 it blows me away. Armstrong and Getty.